Well, good morning. It actually is nice to have others uh, here with us. So um, we're going to work out, we work out a few little technical things this morning. We have a lot going on. And so, um, Corey, if you can bring me down in the house just a tad, we'll keep working on it. We've been trying to get this right. Perfect. That's actually good. Um, so most of you guys know that um, as we've been shooting over the last few weeks, it's a totally different thing to stare into a camera as opposed to talk to people. And so I'm excited actually for today and, um, and being able to, to share together. The flip side of that is it's been a while since I've had lights directly in my face. And so I find myself actually a little disoriented at times um, and uh, distracted. So um, you guys can just be praying for me as, as we're looking at God's word this morning. But obviously, we've, we kind of hit today, and today is Father's Day. And there's a uniqueness that we have as we kind of continue in our, our summer series on loving as the children of God. And it's hard to know how to love well if we don't fully understand how God loves us. And so, as we love God, as we seek God this morning... We can't love others well unless we see and understand His direct love for us. And that love is not something that's just for us, but it is for generations. Corey, I'm going to ask you to bring me down just a little bit more, if that's okay. Awesome. You guys hear me okay? Okay, perfect. Well, before we dive into Scripture this morning, let's go ahead and pray just as we, we get rolling. Let's go ahead and do that together. Lord, thank you for the love that you display towards us. Thank you for the perfectness of your love. Thank you that we don't have to figure out and determine how to love well, but we have an example of a heavenly Father who loves us well. Lord God, may you take this time, may you remove the distractions of our own hearts and minds and just cause us to, to focus on your word this morning. Allow us to, to seek you, God, with our heart and understanding. And Lord, may we be humble before you. Lord, if there's concerns or burdens on our heart, I pray that we would lay those at your feet and that you would lead us this morning. Father, push me aside. May it be you and not my words. And God, may you move from power. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at Psalm 103 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 22. So let's go ahead, if you're able to, let's go ahead and stand as we, we read God's Word this morning, starting in Psalm 103, looking at verses 13 through 22. And this is what it says. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. 
Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You may be seated. The heart of this passage is the truth that knowing God's compassion enables us to wholeheartedly love Him and those in need of His grace. Knowing God's compassion enables us to wholeheartedly love Him and those in need of His grace. It's knowing His compassion, which is loving. That's at the heart of this passage, is a compassionate love of the Father. So I want you to think for a moment. Both good and bad. Think about those moments where maybe your earthly father has demonstrated compassion towards you. And other times where he hasn't. Maybe you've been blessed with a a father who has wonderful, loving compassion. And maybe you haven't. But each of us have access to a father who has perfect, loving compassion. And that is God. Verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So what we need to understand is that God's not saying here that God learns or models His compassion from earthly fathers. Rather, He's making the comparison that if an earthly father diligently displays compassion towards his children, how much more than God the Father then can show compassion towards us? See, remember that God bought us with a price See, sometimes in our lives we can feel like, is it a mistake? There are days that I'm sure that my own children think that I'm a compassionate dad. And then I know there are days that they think I'm not, right? There are times, right, when, I mean, God has given moms and dads to balance each other out. Where there are times when it might be more natural to to nurture and yet The inclination of dad is to push. And sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it's not. And we seek the Lord's wisdom to do so. Many of you can think of those times. Times where you were blessed by your dad to move forward or not. One of the things that I've been blessed in my own dad's life was that my dad would be the first to say there have been a lot of mistakes in his own life. And yet, because he's imperfect, because he's in need of God's grace, I can go and I can look and say there are plenty of wonderful things that I've learned from my father as well. Sometimes what I learn is not just in what he does well, but also what he has failed in. But I can remember being in an elevator with him. And my dad is one of these individuals who, when he is with somebody and he's in a place with them, he initially and instantly kind of engages them right away. 
And as a kid, I was always like, are you kidding me? Like, really? Like, leave the guy alone. Like, you didn't need to say hi to him. Just get in the elevator and be quiet, right? That's my thought. That's the introvert in me. That's the part that goes, you're here, but I don't need to acknowledge your presence, right? But there's something about being acknowledged, is there not? There's something about being noticed. And one of the things that I learned from my own dad was watching him interact with people in moments where I was so uncomfortable and just so much like, why would you do that? And I slowly over time began to value and appreciate, you know what? There's something about noticing people that makes them feel valued and lovable. And it's helped me greatly to begin that process of engaging others. But we have a God who gets it right each time. And we were bought with a price. It wasn't an accident. You don't have to question whether or not you got with the right parents. Right? You were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. You see, as fathers, our responsibility is to reflect God the Father, specifically to our children as well as others. But that's true of each of us. And our lives should be a living testimony to the reality of God and His love for us and His grace through Jesus. As parents, God has placed us into our children's life to reveal the glory of God. And as believers of Christ, He's placed us in the world so that they might see who Jesus is. John Piper puts it this way. He says, when you see a good father, you're seeing a picture of God. Or to put it another way, God designed human fatherhood to be a portrait of himself. God had a son before he created Adam. He was God the father before he was God the creator. The clear implication for all of us fathers is that we were designed to display the fatherhood of God. See, as fathers, we need to model the fatherhood of God. As believers, we need to model the fatherhood of God. The compassion and the love. And as His children, we need to acknowledge and embrace God's love that was demonstrated through the immeasurable goodness of the cross. As His children, we need to demonstrate that love. So, there's really three specific things that we see here in this passage. And the first deals with God's compassion, and then the second deals with what happens as a result of this loving kindness being displayed towards us. So the first is that God demonstrates compassion because he understands us. Notice what it says, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. And now, is there somebody in here that would be able to say, I know something, I know that I'm just like my dad in this area. Anybody willing to share something? A positive thing. <laughs> Let me start there. Ken. I have a propensity for puns. Pensity for puns. Yes, you do. <laughs> and knowing your father, I would agree. Yeah. 
So how about somebody else? Michelle. Michelle, you got your perfectionism from your dad. Yeah. So when you think about that for a minute, the truth is, is that we have a heavenly father that understands how we were formed and created. And as we know our father, we begin to see how we were formed and created. How many of you can think of the ways that you are like God the Father? Think about that for a minute. See, God comes to us because he understands us. He demonstrates compassion because he understands us. He knows how we were framed or formed as the, 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 the Hebrew puts there. It's the idea that he shaped us. He knows that we're weak and that we're prone to sin. He knows that we cannot bear much alone. In fact, we can't even accomplish his purposes without us. He knows that if he instructs us to do something, that apart from him, we can't do it. And it's exactly the reason for the cross. That through Jesus, that through Christ, we might be able to accomplish God's will for our lives and reflect his glory. See, true loving compassion requires that we understand those who are under our care. God demonstrates a listening heart towards us. I can think in my life of times where I've gone to the Lord angry and upset. And I wonder, each time God continues to come back and comfort my heart in His Word. And sometimes He challenges me. But the one thing that He doesn't do is go, you're an idiot. That's moronic. Why? Because he's a compassionate God. He understands that we need him. And he deals with us from this understanding. If we're going to love people well, we have to be a people who understand others. Fathers, we need to take time to understand our children. Mothers, we need to take time to understand our children. Believers, we need to take time to understand those in need of God's grace. Because we're here on earth for a brief time, He's pushing us forward, helping us understand that our lives are really like grass or like a flower. Watch a flower in the scorching sun or in the wind. It doesn't thrive. See, He's telling us, listen, if you understand who I am, if you understand my compassion for me, you'll stop worrying about the other things of life and you'll begin living for me. My love will compel you forward. I think our understanding of God's love often is too shallow. I think if we understood the depth of his love for us and the compassion, it wasn't that by accident God said, oh, now I have to go to the cross 
You guys did it. That's it. It is that because of his compassion, he's looking out and he's saying, I know that you're weak. I knew you'd fail. And this is why my plan was to send a Savior for you so that you might see my love for you. See, it's different than saying, I love you, than demonstrating that love, isn't it? Both are needed. But you can say, I love you, and lack compassion, and lack care, and lack concern, and a person will never know what love really means. God not only says, I love you, but he demonstrates that love. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 through says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Our lives are to be lived with urgency for His sake. And what motivates us is not some great speech and not some great sermon. What motivates us is God's love for us, His compassion towards us in our current state. That's what motivates. You ever find yourself just going, why can't, pursuing God is hard. I don't know why it's so hard to pursue God, but I just have no desire to pursue God. What our prayer really needs to be is God, give me more love for you, but even more than that, help me to understand your love more. It's when we understand God's love that He compels us forward. So, God's loving kindness then does two things. And those two things it actually implores us to do in Scripture. This psalm is actually a crying out. It's saying, hey, listen, if you understand God's commit, if you understand His compassion, then understand this. Understand your response to this compassion. And so the first thing that God's loving kindness implores us to do is to walk in His love. Revealing His grace to current and future generations. To walk in His love. What does that mean? Does that mean that you walk around and you look at everybody and just says, Hey Sue, I love you. Hey Caleb, I love you. Hey John, I love you. Hey Margie, I love you. Well, maybe that's what it means to some degree. If that's what you're feeling compelled that people need in that moment, I suppose, that the Lord's leading you to say. Because there are times, right, that the Lord prompts us to tell somebody that we love them. For me, that's a very difficult thing. I don't walk around telling people I love them a whole lot. I should, but I've been challenged by other brothers and sisters in that. Mark Stone, many of you know, having partnered and worked alongside Mark for so long where he would look and say, love you, bro. The first time he said it to you, I was like, ah. I'm not saying it back. Like, whatever you think is going to happen, I'm not saying it back, because that's not happening. That's not me. But you know what happened over time? Love you, man. I love you, bro. Because there was a depth in what was being expressed. Walking in love 
involves a humility and a reverence that comes when we understand the eternal nature of God's love towards us. Notice the contrast. God's love is everlasting to everlasting. Man's love is just a flower being blown in the wind. That's the difference. That's one of the challenges that when people fail us, let's say maybe that we've been hurt deeply. Maybe it was hurt deeply by a parent. Maybe it was deceived and betrayed by a spouse. When we've been hurt deeply, and, and we compare the love of another person to the love of God, we're missing the mark. And, and I share that because we need to understand that God's love is everlasting to everlasting. Man's love is as if a flower is being blown in the wind or grass that withers. And so our reference point for love needs to not be the person in front of us, but our reference point for love needs to be God. He needs to be the one that's revealing himself to us. And as we mentioned last week, that if God is love, then he gets to define what love looks like. And he gets to define what love is. See, this kind of love produces security and peace. It says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You see, if we believe that our hope is in Christ, if we believe that God has compassion on us in our weakness and that the only way to thrive and experience true love is by walking in awe and reverence and humility before the Lord, It's going to lead us to live lives that are marked by the gospel. That not only want to live it out, but also want to share it. That's what it means to walk in love. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The way that we love is not by trying harder. The way that we love is by allowing the Spirit to work in our life and seeking him. Part of having reverence for God, part of having fear of God, is acknowledging that it is because of Christ that we can love. It is because of God's work that we can love and that we are not intended to love apart from Him. 2 Thessalonians 2.13-17 adds this. It says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as a firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Who's establishing your heart? The Spirit. What's he establishing it in? He's establishing it in love. God's love is what compels us. 
God's compassion. God is not surprised by your sin. God is not surprised by your sin. God knew it, and that's why he demonstrates compassion towards you. But here's the thing. He's also given you his spirit so that you might not continue in sin. Think about that. God has compassion because he knows your condition, and then he gave you the way out of your condition. And the way that we walk in that is by being a people who are walking in humility, acknowledging and recognizing who God is and that God's love is perfect even towards us when we were in sin. Some of you may recognize the famous picture from the 1968 Olympics where two African-American men are holding their fist up in the air as really a silent protest during the Civil Rights Movement in 1968. Most of you are completely unaware of the third man that was on that podium. The third man was a man by the name of Peter Norman. And Peter Norman stood in front of the two that were raising their hand. And most assumed, because he couldn't see what was going on behind him, that he was this kind of just passive bystander. Well, that wasn't the case at all. Peter Norman was the silver medalist. He was not expected to even make the Olympic Games. He had the career of his lifetime during those Olympics. He held the Australian record in the 200 meters, came out of nowhere to qualify for the team, and then came out of nowhere even more to win the silver medal at the Olympics. Norman was from Australia, and at the time, Australia had strict apartheid laws that were similar to South Africa. And at the time, there was tension and protest in the streets of Australia, and they were dealing heavily with discrimination within those areas, and they were even dealing with forced adoptions of native children to white people, and they were eliminating those. And so as Norman stood by, as he listened to John Carlos and Tommy begin to speak about this, they talked about the fact that they wanted in protest to to stand up, to take a silent stand. And some of you may have witnessed this. And there's been all different views about it. But the way that John Carlos and Tommy Smith share it says that they asked Norman if he believed in human rights. And Norman said that he did. And then they asked him again if he believed in God. And he said that he had worked for the Salvation Army and believed strongly in God. And John Carlos said this. He said, We knew that what we were going to do was far greater than any athletic feat. And yet, Peter Norman said, I will stand with you. And John Carlos remembers, I expected to see fear in Norman's eyes, but instead we saw love. Smith and Carlos then decided to get up to the stadium and 
wearing gloves, they also wore badges that were part of the Olympic Project for Human Rights badge, a movement among athletes at that time to support the battle for equality. Peter Norman wore that badge. What most people don't know is that Norman went home to Australia. He was outcast in Australia. He qualified, had 13 qualifying times for the 1976, or 1972 Olympics. In the 200 meters and in the 100 meters had five qualifying teams and the Australian government refused him the opportunity to return to the Olympics. He was turned down from jobs and housing and he was told by the government that if he would renounce his stance that he would have a government job with the Olympic Committee in Australia. Norman chose to not renounce it and lived homeless for much of his life. See, God's love compels us to do things beyond ourselves because we understand who we are in relationship to God and we understand that God has called us to be a bastion of his glory, to reveal his love to a world in desperate need for it. The story doesn't end well for Peter Norman. He struggled and later in life, in his despondency and despair, became addicted, struggled with addiction for much of the end of his life. Tommy Smith and John Carlos speak about the fact that they remained friends with him during this time. You see, God has called us to stand with one another in love because God has stood for us in love. We're to walk in God's love, which is not marked by good intentions, but it's marked by obedience to His Word. See, it says, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments... Everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, what? To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So, what's our response to his loving compassion? It's one of obedience to God's word, it's one of obedience to his command, it's one of discerning his leading in accordance with his principles. See, God's called us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. God has also called us to love our neighbor as ourself. I think it's easy in conservative Christianity to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. I don't think it's easy in the sense of that it's done well. I think it's where we tend to naturally land. The hard part, loving others the way that Christ loved us laying down our life for him. See, God's love, his compassion, should compel us to move forward. It compels us to walk in obedience, to to hold to his covenant, to live a life of sacrifice before him. I've been challenged in this in my own life. Like, Lord, I need a greater heart for evangelism. 
God, those opportunities that you provide me seem to be impositions in my life. Not joyous times. And part of it is, I think, because I'm still not fully understanding God's compassion towards me. We need to be a people that understand his compassion. That God came to us in our weakness, not in our strength. God came to us because we needed him. And he understood us because of it. What prevents you from sharing your faith? What what prevents you from loving others well by being the witness that God's called you to be? See, God's called us to walk in love. And walking in love is marked by being obedient to Him. Love is demonstrated through our walking in faith throughout and in the power of His Word, Jesus Christ. What's our second response then? We see this all through this latter part of the passage. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's to be one of praise. We're to praise Him for His greatness. We're to be living a life that is praising God for His greatness as we walk in love. That's an awesome thing. Now think about it for a minute. Are you more prone to being critical than you are to praise? Are you more prone to think about all the ways that things can't happen or to be frustrated by the the things of life or are you more prone to praise? God's saying that we're to walk in praise So we're walking in love and then we're praising God for his greatness. If we find ourselves struggling with that criticism, turn it to a praise. God, thank you that you've equipped me for this. Thank you that you are powerful over this. God, that you are creator over this. Look at who the psalmist is saying, listen, praise. He's telling the angels to pray. He's telling his servants to praise. He's telling his works to praise. They cry out that this is from God. And then he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's personal. One pastor defined blessing or praising God as speaking well or singing his greatest and goodness. See, we faithfully declare who he is and live everything we've received as a blessing because we deserve nothing. When you hear those words come out of your mouth, strike them down. When you say to somebody you deserve something, strike it down. When you say I deserve, strike it down. 
Because what we deserve is not what we get. What we deserve was death because of our sin. And everything else we receive is blessing. Everything. Everything. And that's why we can praise God. Because God came to us in our weakness. And that love then compels us to go to others in weakness. It helps us love. It helps us disciple. It helps us witness. See, when we understand God's fatherly love, life becomes about all things blessing God. Whether it's working on the car, whether it's paying the mechanic, whether it's going to a doctor's appointment, whether it's cleaning up throw up. It all becomes a blessing for the Lord. You see, true praise is always accompanied by genuine surrender to the Lord. Otherwise, it's simply lip service. True praise is always accompanied by genuine surrender to the Lord. Otherwise, it's just lip service. And David said this. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul. May that be how we respond to God's love this morning. May we be a people who walk in love, marked by obedience to God's word and leading, And may we be a people who are known for our praise of God rather than the criticalness of our own hearts. May we trust what God's word says. That God bought us, paid for us, knew that we were sinners. And because he knew that we were sinners, he demonstrated compassion in spite of that so that we might have life in him and his glory might be known to a world in desperate need. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can sing praise to you, that we can love you well. Thank you that you came to us when we needed it most. God, there are some that probably are hurting when they think of their own fathers. May we see your compassion and know that you are a loving, compassionate God. There are others that may be stressing for approval of their dads. May we see that you have declared us worthy through the sending of Your Son to die on the cross. Still others, Father, who need to know the love that comes from a perfect Father, You. I pray today would be that day where there would be repentance and belief on You for their salvation. 
Lord, as we get ready to partake in communion this morning, may we be reminded that Your love is perfect. And that, Lord, that You chose to display that love towards us. Thank You, Father. Thank You for loving us. And we ask this in Your name. Amen.